I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What's going on, people? We are Tottenham TV back here for yet another panel show. And there's a lot to get into today. But first of all, let's introduce our guest. First and foremost, returning to the panel and returning to the show is Jacob from United Spurs of America. How are we, Jacob? I'm doing well. I just noticed my camera's out of focus. So I'm really trying to figure out what's going on oh. there with that. But apologies. It wasn't before. Um, we will well. see. We see you in the back end, but it wasn't before. So <laughs> yeah. it's something that's just happened. I don't, I don't know what's happened. Mate. Was, it's all good. <laughs> I was having a lovely conversation with uh, with Kish earlier before the show, and <laughs> and then my camera decided right right when show started to go out of focus. I'll I'll sort that in just a second. But I'm doing well. I'm too blessed to be stressed. Good morning from El Paso, Texas. Very lovely to share the screen with you, fine gentlemen, and very nice to, to meet Kish as well. Great to have you back on, Jacob, that's for sure. But a brand new guest to the show, making his debut on the panel and on We Are Tottenham TV is Kish from Lily White Lab. How are you, Kish? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm I'm happy to be on here. I'm excited to get into it. Um, yeah, happy to be here, man. Good to have you as well. And if you haven't, do go and subscribe to both of their lovely channels as well here on YouTube. But look, let's get straight into it because there's been a lot been said about the form of Tottenham Hotspur in recent weeks or well, for a number of weeks, to be honest. And when you look at it, we'll start off with you, Kish. Are you worried about the Spurs form? Is the Spurs form, bad form being overstated at the moment? Because when you look at it, Last 10 games, we sit fourth in the form table. You take it to the last five games, we do sit eighth. But do you think the bad form has been overstated? Um, no, I think I think we have been in bad form. I think even games where we've won, I think we haven't dominated games in a, in a while um, that I can remember. It's been very kind of end-to-end basketball-type games um, where... You know, it could go either way and it has gone mm. either way in some games. Um, so I do think there are some issues there. Um, I'm not worried kind of long term, but I do think currently there's definitely some issues to sort out for the coach and stuff. 
Yeah. What do you put that down to? Why are we not? Because the way I look at it is that we haven't played consistently well since probably the first 10 games of the season. And obviously that Chelsea game, we had loads of injuries, suspensions, and it derailed our season massively. But since these players have started to filter back, why haven't we been able to hit those heights again? I think there's a few reasons. Um, I think familiarity within the system and in terms of cohesion, um, playing playing with one another, um, those players who have come back from injury, um, suspensions, AFCON, um, Asian Cup, etc. Um, so I think this system is very reliant on fluidity um, and especially in terms of attacking and, and in-possession stuff there needs to be a lot of cohesion from player to player because the system's so fluid and there's so many rotations. Um, and I think that takes time and especially players who aren't up to kind of match fitness um, and also haven't really played many games all as kind of one unit. I think that's mm-hmm. definitely an issue. I also think Ange has some kind of responsibilities to take here um, in terms of playing players in roles that don't, necessarily suit their profile um, and probably being not adaptable enough, um, not in terms of overall kind of intent, um, but just in terms of where he's playing players and what kind of things he's asking them to do. I think there's a lot of kind of issues there um, which have affected us, in the, in especially the last couple of games. What, what players are you referring to? Emerson, I'm guessing. Emerson potentially. So I think um, the Wolves game is a great example. I think... Um, Emerson and, and Davies are are not Poro and Doggy. They're they're complete different players. Um, they don't have the attributes that those players have, both physically and technically. Um, and asking them to play as high um, and be as kind of responsible in possession um, as he did, I think, was a big issue. And I think one of the main reasons that was a big issue is because it cramped the space for other players. So. Madison, um, Saar, Bissouma, they they were so kind of penned in that central area because Emerson and Davies were bringing their wingers infield. And I just thought if he had just left them kind of as traditional fullbacks and let our midfield dominate theirs, I think that would have been a, a better ploy um, because we already had the overload in there. They were playing two. I think they were playing um, Gomez and Lamina. We had Basuma, Saar and Madison. So bringing the wingers in just kind of cramped the space and, and players like Madison really struggled as well. It's interesting, like, that point, because it is definitely true, like, Emerson and Davis, I think, are not suited to that, like, that inverted role as much as our other fullbacks. But it's interesting because Ange has shown he's willing to, like, be adaptable. With, you know, when, when the centre-back issue happened, he played Emerson and Davis there when we had people like Dyer, who was a more recognised centre-back. So he has showed he's able to do that. So maybe it's a case of he had to see kind of Emerson. Like, he had to... I think he played Dyer one game, didn't he, against Wolves and yeah, decided, look, never I'm, saw him again. I'm not... I've had enough of that. So maybe... And that was Wolves, ironically enough. So maybe he might see Emerson and think... Actually, I'm going to look for a different solution there. If, if he has, he has played Emerson on the other side, though, and I don't mm. see too much of a difference whether it's right or left back in terms of whether he's suited to the role. I think we all know we saw Emerson play left back in that Wolves game earlier on in the season. And when he was inverting into the middle, every time it got to Emerson, our moves broke down. And that was a key reason why we lost that game. We just couldn't keep a hold of the ball. And... Um, I don't see how anyone, especially Ange, could see that Emerson 
is good for that role, inverting into the middle spaces, into the half spaces, into the centre of the park, um, from right back or left back, to be honest. So, I, And I think we have options, like Saar could probably do that job or something like that, or put him in one of the midfielders in there. I think that would be a better option. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. But let's move on to Jacob. Like, what, What's your take on it? Do you think that, do you agree with Kish that it hasn't been overstated and we have been really poor? Or when you look at the form table being fourth over the last 10 games or the fourth, picked up the fourth most points in the last 10 games of the Premier League, do you think that people are just a bit going overboard a little bit? Well, for me, when you have a new manager coming in and we've lacked a philosophy for quite some time, I would prefer to have consistency and philosophy than adaptability to lack of talent. So by putting Davies and putting Emerson as inverting fullbacks, that's saying you either can do the job or you can't do the job. And we're going to find out because that's just when tire meets the road, that's just what you find out is can they work and will they work in the system? And it's just shown time and time again, Eric Dyer that as well is someone who got slaughtered in. I think Romero got injured early on in the season. Dyer came in and then we lost. And to me, these are things indicative of Ainge willing to be adaptable. When people say, I've heard a lot that, oh, he's not willing, he's so stubborn, he's naive, he's this, he's that. And they have all these words under the sun for Ainge Postacoglu. But for me, like you mentioned, Emerson Royale's played three different positions. Ben Davies has played two different positions on three different occasions. So when you talk about Kulusevsky plays right wing, plays the 10, he's done it in game. He started games with it. He's gone. This is what I'm saying. He has been adaptable. We looked completely different the first time we played Wolves to the game following and the game prior to that. So again, that's three matches in quick succession that are all different than than the previous. So I don't buy into this notion that he's he's too rigid, he's too stubborn, he's this, that, and the other. To me, it's it's fans getting frustrated and upset with the results and the lack of putting teams away and the lack of really consistently managing 90 minutes of football because what we see is halves or spurts. You know, Wolves was a perfect example. We had that one moment of brilliance with Kulusevsky there on the right-hand side. Outside of that, I can't really remember what was, what was even good about that game. And... Mm. And to me, that is not the first time. Brentford, perfect example. They dominated us in the first 45. We came out and we won the game in the second 45. That's fantastic. But I think fans getting frustrated, they want to see that over 90 minutes. And I understand, and I'm with that. But for me, this is all part of the growing process. This is change is never easy. Change never feels great. It's always uncomfortable. And there's going to be these uncomfortable moments. I think every Spurs fan in the summer knew when Ainge Pasacoglu came in that, one, it's going to be a, a season for change. And two, to really just embrace whatever's going on for me that's why the ups the downs i've felt them all and i'm just riding it and and to me the expectations for Ainge Postacago don't really kick in until um he's had at least four windows to say i like this guy i don't like this guy get this guy out of here because right now he's still playing i think when you look at the the starting 11 versus wolves how many of those were actually Ainge Postacago's choices or signings or even signings under Ainge Postacoglu if you want to say it's Johan Lange and etc making these decisions how many of those players like Kulusevsky I'm I'm we we exercised his option before we appointed Ainge Postacoglu so to me the he, he's trying to figure out where I can slot this guy in because there's clearly a talent there but it's just not working in this but it, to me these things will get worked out the more that he's here there's also something that he's shown at Celtic at, at um Yokohama as well. I, I believe that's the name. But yeah, 
historically starts out kind of slow and then ends up, you know, once he has time to instill his philosophy. And again, a student only learns as long as they're in the classroom. So the longer our players are 11, are 24, healthy 24, not Ryan Sessegnon on the bench, not, or excuse me, and LaCelso as well and the physio. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about his guys in that room listening to his words six, seven days a week. Once we get to that point, that's when we start the real for me, that's when it really begins. This is just still him sorting out the decorations in the room, so to speak. Mm. Jacob, do you think that after the first 10 games of the season before that Chelsea game, that Spurs fans got lulled into a bit of a full sense of security thinking maybe this is a bit of a new manager bounce the first 10 games and we think that we're a bit better than we are. And, you know, and said at the time as well that bumps in the road will happen. There'll be ups and downs during the season. And then when the downs come, the fans just kick their toys out of the pram. Do you think that we did get lulled into a bit of a full sense of security in the first 10 games? On my birthday, November 1st, we were top of the league. How could we not? <laughs> How could we not? I'm I'm turning a year older watching the sun go past me, and I'm thinking, wow, we're top of the league. We have Ainge Postacoglu. The whole motto of Tottenham Hotspur is to dare is to do. And the most previous, it was dare, dream, do. Uh, and, and Ainge Postacoglu gave fans the right to go out there and believe however they want to believe. And then the following week, say, we also need to manage our expectations. But you can also believe whatever you want to believe. Because I think he said that and then we lost. But yeah. to me, it's just, of course, we're going to get a little uh, excited once we start seeing some really pro uh, progressive football. We're seeing these triangle passings uh, on the left, on the right, in the front, our half, their half. And we're starting to think, wow, we're we're really putting something together. Yeah, You're seeing... Ben Davies getting a tune out of him at left center back. And for me, this is a guy I haven't really wanted at the club for the last four years because I felt like it's time to move on from this, this old era of players. I feel like it's been time to move on from but that takes time. And that takes really a philosophy. Like I was saying earlier, it takes, once you have that philosophy, you can say, here's who fits in there. Here's who doesn't. And once you, if you don't have that, then it's just, Oh, well, here's Emerson Royale. Now here's Jed Spence. Now here's Pedro Poro. And that's three right backs. It's like, what am I supposed to do with all these guys? So to <laughs> me, um, I, I think we, hey, if you didn't enjoy yourself in that beginning part of the season, what, what, what are we doing here? Why aren't we enjoying this? Football brings me joy. Tottenham makes me happy. And when those two things coincide, it's just, it's a beautiful time. There's nothing like match day. And when you're undefeated for 10 matches, it's hard to not get a little um, head of steam. But obviously I think that we got a little, ahead of ourselves people were talking title charge this that and the other and it's been on full display and i think i think it's a great learning moment as well for people that look you need a full squad to challenge for a premier league title that is evident look at the three clubs that have pulled away they have built squads over the last four years for arsenal six seven years for liverpool was it seven years for pep this is what i'm saying they've been building that and when you see what like with liverpool they have players go out well, bring on these kids because they've been playing this system in the academy that's what i want to see too for ours i want to see these young kids coming through if madison goes out don't worry we've got james madison jr in the academy who's been playing it for six years that's what i want to see and once we're there that's really going to be the sweet spot yeah, and I think we're building to that point and hopefully we'll get there uh, sooner rather than later. But Sim, what, what, what's your take on it? Do you think the form's been overstated? The um, bad form? Sorry? The bad form? Yeah, I think 
I think it's no secret that we definitely haven't been as good uh, in our first in the in the last ten games as we were in the first. I think it's obvious. I think even there were, as even Ange pointed out, there were probably even games where we did have that load of injuries, where we probably played better than we have maybe in some recent games. I think there were some. We, there are some games we've dropped points recently, and there are some games we dropped points during that really bad run where we probably had more control in those games in that bad run when we ended up losing than we did in games recently where may, maybe in some games we picked up points um, where we had even less control let's say like the Brighton game we didn't have a lot of control in that game yet we picked we ended up picking up three points compared to maybe other games where we had more control and ended up, end up losing so I think it's definitely fair to say we we're having a bit of an issue um, controlling the opposition right now we're way, we're giving way too many um, chances to the opposition that's definitely true um, when we when we are in the period where we're where we're um second best so we're behind where the opposition have control i think we're struggling to contain their ability to create chances especially in transition you saw how effective uh neto was in the wolves game last week he completely tore us to shreds um when uh, wolves were able to nick the ball and we definitely seem to be struggling against teams who play a bit of a lower block and play in a back five as well if you saw against brentford against wolves they play a back five but especially when they're defending, their wing-backs seem to be very tucked in. It's almost like a very narrow back five, almost. And the problem we have when we're doing that is because it's so narrow, we can't operate centrally, and then we give the ball out wide and our wingers can't do anything because they're not very good from creating chances. So it leads to us looking very ineffective right now. So... That that is a bit a bit, a bit of an issue. I'm seeing the uh, we're currently saying as well. I think Kish is absolutely right. The familiarity, a lot of the familiarity with a lot of the players, um, still getting used to the system, who are coming back from injury, all these different things, is still leading us looking a bit disjointed at the moment. Um, and it's maybe why we're not starting games in first halves very well. But yet, when when we come out in the second half, usually it's a lot better for one reason or another. Maybe Ange, you know. Has has worked things out. You can have a word with them in in the. It does seem to be a quick drop off in that second half, though. After the initial burst, it happened um, up against Brentford. It happened against Wolves. Yes, against Brentford and Wolves. Well, Brentford, we got three goals. Wolves, we got one goal, and then it was a bit of. I thought actually for about half half that half we were pretty good, and um, against Brighton as well, you could say we got the equaliser, made those three subs, and it was a big drop off. Even though again. We came, we came out second half really well. Even against Everton, came out second half really well. And then last 10 minutes, we had a bit of a drop-off. So um, I can't put my finger on why we seem to have a get a second win in that second half and then have a massive drop-off late in the game. But we definitely do see an uptick in the second half. That's for, that's for definite. Um, so... The re- and uh, the reason why we drop off again, it's hard to know. But Ange definitely can see what's going on in that first half. And he seems to be able to rectify it, whether it means just getting the players to put an extra bit of energy, getting them pressing a lot higher, more intensely, um, or, a f- you know, having a few tactical issues, putting Kuliseski back in the centre or whatnot. But it, I, there's definitely a problem at the moment, defensively, where we're not good enough at keeping the ball and and because we're allowing so many transitions and and then fullbacks are very inverted it means that when, as soon as the opposition get the ball they're pretty much got an opportunity to create a chance every single time and that is a consequence of and I'm not saying he I'm not saying it's a problem I'm just saying the way he is setting us up 
is causing these problems. And I'm not saying we have to change that. We just have to get better at the setup. That is, that is the for me, the solution. A lot of people will say, you know, maybe Andrew's too open. Maybe the problem is he has to set up in a different way. You know, if you want to get results, you know, right now, maybe you should set up in a different way. Maybe that is the answer. But if you're looking for a long-term vision, long-term philosophy, for me, the solution is you just have to get better at enacting this plan rather than looking at always at the short term and thinking we need to change up the way we play because right now we're doing these certain things wrong and if we um and if we ch change up on the way that play maybe that would lessen the weaknesses that we're showing right now um so look we're not in great form but i do think first of all this break will do us well and i do think we're showing enough in games to show me that when we're doing things right we're doing things really well and we're on top of the opposition and we're creating chances we're looking good it's just we need to be able to get into a game state where we are, when we don't have control of the opposition, we're not conceding as many chances as we are because that's a problem. Yeah, it is. It just seems like one ball down the middle just seems to open us up every time. But in terms of Ange Postecoglou's tactics, Kish, do you feel like teams have found him out? Or do you feel like we just don't have the players to implement the system week in, week out? I mean, what, what do you think it's down to? So I think on that, um, the, the kind of multiple transitions per game, I think there's a few ways you can kind of resolve that in, in some ways i guess um i think the first way is he might look to build up in a different way so rather than building up in a kind of two three shape which is a you know two center backs and either one of the midfielders the six and the fullback or, or however but it's, it, it it builds up that way you look to build up in a three two shape where you've got maybe one reserved fullback and then Romero pushes over or the other way around and, and you have more coverage uh, across the pitch. Um, that's one way. I think in the current setup, the reasons we're giving away so many transitions is is for a few reasons. And I think, first of all, um, our, front, <coughs> our front three are players who want to run in behind constantly, aren't secure in possession, um, barring maybe Kulisevsky um players who run away from the ball don't kind of want to, to feet um and so every time they get the ball it's kind of either a final action or they lose the ball um and then it comes right back the other way and we can't gain any territory um, up the pitch so we're we're not camping in te other teams halves anymore we're we're constantly back and forth back and forth and that puts a lot of strain on the on the center backs anyway the other way i think is because of that the midfielders are um, are playing so directly. So Madison, Bentoncourt especially, I think they're they're forcing often that forward pass. And I, th I know that's Andrew's philosophy, but they need to learn how to manage games better in terms of, okay, we're 1-0 up here. It's becoming very end-to-end. -end. Let's take this thing out of the game. Let's, let's pop a couple passes around. Let's slow the game down at times and not be so full throttle because we're just turning the ball over constantly. Um, and so I think that's that's another factor. And then the last one is our number six, who is either at the moment Basuba or Bentoncourt. And those two are not natural lone pivots. Um, Basuma especially loves to roam. Um, you see him kind of on the edge of the opposition penalty area. You see him picking up the ball out wide at times. And that just leaves massive spaces. And if we're going to play this way, we need a number six in my eyes who his main job is to hold that center of the pitch and sniff out transitions, um, win the second balls and give it back to, to our players, um, forward, forward thinking players. And so him being so free and kind of so 
um, kind of eager to get in, involved in all the all the build-up play and and, um, and all the attacking play means that we're just so vulnerable um, going backwards. And I think Bentoncourt also comes with his own issues there. So I think they're some of the reasons why tactically we're looking so vulnerable. In terms of uh, bringing back to the Basuma point, like I bring it back to the first 10 games of the season again, because he was in that sixth role. He looked absolutely perfect for that role in those, in that period of time. He got those sending offs. And I feel like something's just diminished from his game. He's, he's lost an element of something from his game. And I can't put my finger on what it is, but he just doesn't seem the same player. And do you feel like if he can get back to those levels, then we still need that number six? So I think Basuma suits a certain type of game um, best. And I think those first 10 games, we saw teams coming out more because they were kind of not as expectant of us dominating games. Um, they'd come and press us higher. Um, not every game, but um, certain a lot of those first 10, he was being pressed very high and that's where he can wriggle out of challenges. And that's his kind of bread and butter. He's He's like so good in tight areas and then suddenly the game switches because he's got out of three players and, and there's so much space and i think that's where i like basuma as the number six where we're being pressed but when we're being hit on transition 24 7 um and he's kind of he's not got the best passing range so when he's given time he can't switch the ball from one side to the other with a pass um his his passing kind of risk is quite limited so he's not going to break lines that often with his passing he might with a little dribble um so that's why I, what i put down the basuma thing too especially that he he is great in games where he's pressed like arsenal for example he was great um but also there's definitely i think for me a confidence issue there so i think he's a player that likes to be loved and um kind of he needs to pick up form before he starts showing kind of what kind of player he is so i think that's also an issue so I, we haven't even seen him do many of those dribbles even when he is pressed at times because I think the confidence has dropped a bit. But yeah, I, he's not my kind of primary long-term number six issue because I don't think he suits the role. Yeah, um, a player that I think would be perfect for those games where we're suffering on the transition is someone like a Jao Paulinia or Fulham. Like he would just sit in those spaces. He'll gobble up everything that comes his way, can play the lone pivot as well. Um, I do feel like we need someone of that ilk to come in in the summer. Um, but look, let's move on from this topic and let's talk about the under-21s, the youngsters coming through at the moment. Because everyone saw the cup final on the weekend, Liverpool bringing on all those kids and beating them billionaire bottle jobs that were Chelsea and Pochettino on the weekend. That brought a smile to all our faces. Um, but let's start off with you, Jacob. Do you feel like these youngsters need to be given more of a chance? And why haven't they been given more of a chance when we had all those injuries? You know, it's an interesting discussion because I remember when Jose was here, I was questioning those very same things. Why aren't we seeing some of these kids? And to me, I could see it both ways for Ange Postacoglu being like, can I trust my job? My This is his this is the audition period, right? This is when we're all seeing what what's he made of? What is he going to do? What are we looking like? And then, you know, now he's like, well, let me bring these kids up. I started getting excited in the beginning of the season, seeing the Donleys, the Dorringtons on the bench, the Iago Santiago was on the bench once, and and I'm like, okay, because I, I subscribe to Spurs play. I, I, I'll admit it. I subscribe to Spurs <laughs> play, and I watch the academy matches, but it's very much worth the dollar because to, to watch the youth is something I've been crying out for. Like I wish we could watch the youth games, and now they're actually providing that for us. So, of course, I'm going to take advantage of it. And so it's very exciting to see – 
these kids coming through. But for me, it it now looking back and it was a little bit more retrospection. I think that it was more he put those player the, those kids on the bench because we needed numbers first and foremost. We were facing injuries, suspensions, tournaments, etc. And we needed bodies. We needed warm bodies who could fill the bench. And there's a reason why they weren't subbed on. And if if they were subbed on, I think Donley got subbed on once or twice for a handful of minutes. That's just a little disheartening from from a U21 side, but this has been a bigger problem than just this year. Our youth, the pathway from the from the youth team to the first team has been broken for quite some time, and you just get the occasional uh, here's a skip, here's an all of uh, Harry Winks, and and now you know Harry Kane, and, and and so you get that, and that kind of makes the academy believe, well, I could do it if I'm good enough or if I do the right things, but again, to me. <clears throat> I just think that it's a little disheartening when there's not that many opportunities handed out for these kids who've clearly been working. I I don't know right now the table fixtures, but for a good part of the season, our U21s were top of their league, our U18s were top of their league, and our U17s were top of their league. So to me, that just speaks to, first of all, their level, or uh, excuse me, their talent at their level. But do we know that they could take that drastic step up to the Premier League? Do we know they can make that drastic? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Step up to a championship. These are questions we don't know. And we're starting to find out. It does look like Alfie Devine could fit in just fine in the championship. He's getting assists. He's getting goals. Ashley Phillips, the, the new manager over there, he's loving on him. I know that he knows Alfie Devine from... Uh, his previous managerial position at, at the England you um, somethings. And so for me, it, it's taken a while, but an Alfie Devine is getting his chance. So maybe next year he could potentially infiltrate this this 25. I mean, I would love to see something like that because then it, it breeds confidence with the younger kids that I just try a little harder, I push a little harder, take a loan somewhere. You never know where I may end up. And for me, I also, like, Dane Scarlett was that one hopeful that we've been hoping on for about three, four years. Jose said, oh, he's he's a star he's a star boy, you know. Love Dane Scarlett. Conte, same thing. Everyone says they love Dane Scarlett, but when push comes to shove, Dane Scarlett's not even getting minutes on his loans. And when he did last year do well for Portsmouth, it was, like, for a moment in the beginning, and then it just kind of fell off. So, for me, it's – I don't necessarily blame Dane Scarlett for that because he's been here, he's been there. Then we, and you just kind of 
playing with the young man's emotions and what he thinks his life is going to end up. And, you know, they're, these kids are all humans too, and they're growing young men. And, and I understand what it's like to be that age, not in their position, obviously, but to be at that stage where you're like, where am I going to go? Where am I going to play? Like who really believes in me and who, you know, who trusted me enough to make me believe in myself? Kind of like with what Kish was saying, Basuma's one of those guys that thrives on putting an arm around. You say, you're my guy, go get this. Because, to me, we weren't having that sixes and eights conversation in the beginning of the season. So I think it's going to take Angel a little bit putting his arm around these kids and saying, like, he believes in them. But again, do you want to hinge your probationary period, let's say, uh, on your tenure at, at your new club, at the biggest venue that you've ever managed at, the highest level you've ever managed at? You're going to risk it on some kids? I don't know. Not yet, anyway, is what I would say if I'm Ange Postacoglu. So I think that's something that will be worked out over time. We're still figuring out uh, the hierarchy of of our recruitment in the academy, et cetera. We're buying up all this young talent. Now we got to see what we could do with it. Jude Sunsa Bell, another name that comes to mind, bought him off Chelsea. Let's see. Let, let's start seeing some of this. And the more competitions we're in, i.e., European football next year, the more we're going to see some of these things. So mm. I, I'm yeah. not too worried about it right now. You say like the pathway has been broken for a number of years. When it wasn't broken, it was Alex Inglethorpe that was running the academy at the time. And now he's the one running the academy at Liverpool. So it's no surprise to me that you're seeing these kind of players like filter through at Liverpool. But it did take a ginormous injury um, crisis at Liverpool to see these players come through. Um, So it was a bit disheartening maybe not to see these players when we had that kind of major injury crisis halfway through the season. When you're looking at the under-21s, top of their league, undefeated this season, the under-18s are third in their league three points off the top uh where do you sit with it sim do you feel like we should have by now seen more of these players i think um definitely as you said like when we had the injury crisis you know we're playing emerson and davis as center back at that stage um that was disappointing not to have at least seen Phillips given a go for you know just try him out see how he does put him especially in. as they said he was brought in to be part of the first team yeah and i think if you're going to be playing Emerson and, and Davis, and look, to be fair, Davis did all right. But if you're going to be playing Emerson there, who I don't think played very well when he was a centre-back by and large, in my opinion, um, why not give Ashley Phillips a run out just to give him a go to see how he does and see if he can kind of sink or swim? And if he, look, if he sinks, then yeah, you could argue he could kill his confidence. But if it's only one game, then you realise, okay, he's not ready. You can put him back. You can take him on loan and do what you're doing now. But if he swims and, you know, he does really well, all of a sudden that's another option there. And, and also you're giving him confidence. You're giving him opportunities to develop his game, get used to the Premier League early as well. And obviously right now we're seeing him on loan at uh, Plymouth. The reports are very, very strong. Apparently he's doing really well. So I think on those elements, I'm... That was disappointed we didn't see him. Same with like Donnelly. Like I think there were some games. Um, I think the Celso and Madison were both injured, and I think on those occasions it would have been nice just for one game. You know, maybe against a team who will sit a low block or whatever. Put Donnelly in. See how just see how he does. Start or bring a, him on. Give him more minutes. I think start start him and I take him off if it's not working. But if we, we, we there were some games where we were playing like. Basuma, Hoybier and Saar all together, which lacked any sort of creativity or any sort of attacking. I guess we had Kulisevsky there as well, so we put him central. But maybe in those occasions where we saw Kulisevsky more as a right winger, you can put Donnelly in from the start just to give him a game, see, see what he does. But I understand uh, uh, what Andrew's point of view is. And also, in a, in a weird way, to uh, Jacob's point, um, if you put... 
Emerson and David and uh, Davis there or whatever it actually gives him more leeway in a weird way because if he says um, if he says oh, I think Phillips is ready and puts him in and he has a bad game and it costs us a result or like that the 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 finger we pointed more at Ange for that because you technically have a player who's who's you know who's ready to play fit your system because you've picked him whereas if you put Emerson there and it goes wrong you just say well I had no other option because Emerson was the only fit centre back and I don't think Ashley Phillips is ready um, so it kind of in a way gives him more excuse a bit uh, of a safety net safety net you reckon in a way I don't know I don't know if that's why he did it but if you logically think about it it gives him a bit more leeway to do that I think it, it takes the uh, you can't really criticise him too much if he if he's going to say Phillips is not ready and then you put Emerson there and it, and it goes wrong it, you know he, he, he doesn't really have an excuse where if he puts Phillips in there and it goes wrong like that's a recognised centre back and maybe the the aisle be more on him but why not play Phillips if, if Ange is the one that said he's come in to be a part of the first team when we signed him in the summer that's what I'm saying. I don't, look, I would have liked to have seen him, but maybe that's part of the reason. I, I don't think it is. I don't think that's what he's thinking. But I'm just saying maybe subconsciously that could be part of it as well. And um, Maybe he's not ready. Go, go on, Jacob. What are you going to say? I wanted I to throw something in there because remember, I, 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 my first question when we're talking about bringing a kid in is who's leaving off of the 11? And even mm-hmm. if, if it is the Davies and Emerson, to me, in the locker room, what kind of message does that send? He kind of did it with Eric Dyer, and look at the pushback he got in the press. Look at the pushback, and that that almost had a ripple effect. So I'm wondering if this happening after the whole Eric Dyer don't question my integrity thing, um, mm-hmm. if that could possibly play a factor in ways like, well, you know, I don't want to throw Emerson and Davies under the bus and then get questioned again, and then if say Ashley Phillips isn't working and is horrible in say one two matches, everyone's going to look at me as like. Oh, well, you icing out a veteran who clearly could play that. Uh, to me, I think that's obviously a, a, a grand assumption on my part, but I'm just throwing out there maybe with the Eric Dyer thing happening and the kind of pushback he had from that, that it could have altered the way he went forward with these youth kids. I, yeah, I, I don't. Think, I, go, on, Kish, Kish. go on, Kish. Go on, Kish. I just think, I think that's a, a huge point because I think Ange just talked a lot about kind of squad dynamics and how the feeling around the club. And I think. I'm starting to think that this first season is about him kind of sending a message that if you work hard, everyone's going to get a go and everyone's going to be able to impress me. And then he's going to start trimming his squad from what he's seen. But I think to send a message basically to the first team squad and say, if you work hard in training, if you're performing in training, then you're going to get a chance. And I think Skip, Emerson and Davies probably unfortunately all work hard yeah they're hard workers and so he's he's rewarding them that and i think that kind of spreads the message i also think in terms of bringing through academy players i think it's always about kind of having an individual development plan for all of them so let's say kind of donnelly right right now he's got madison in front of him he's got Mm -hmm. the Celso in front of him i think he needs to be or there needs to be kind of a plan that okay when donnelly's let's say 21 he's going to be understudy to madison and by 23 we want him to be kind of the main number 10 or whatever right and that's obviously if all goes to plan um and i think right now the squad's so bloated that and there's so many players that don't quite fit or kind of we don't really know where they fit um and it's stopping those young players coming through and i think he or the the club need to start offloading players um, cut their losses with players and then we'll start seeing kind of the fruits of the academy because I, re- I I do think that 
the squad's too big right now and to kind of leapfrog kind of a, a starting level player who's maybe maybe Lo Celso, for example he's played world, world cups he's like Argentina's first midfielder to play Donnelly over him what kind of message does that send to him what kind of message does that send to to everyone else I do think Donnelly was ready this season and I think he is ready now to, to play Premier League minutes I've, I've thought that I've watched a lot of him and I, I think that physically mentally and technically he, he ticks all those boxes um with the Phillips one I don't think he's ready um to, to play to play the system I think he really struggles in possession um mm. still and I think he's quite stiff in terms of turning. So our, our system's very kind of big on defending the wide channels uh, as a centre-back and also building up, playing playing kind of out from the back. Um, so I think he's he's got develop, developing to do, but I don't think that's a, that's a problem. Um, but there are, I think there are players who could make an impact, uh, a positive impact now, but I think it's the bloated squad issue. I think the other two who could make an impact now are um Santiago I think we're missing that profile I don't think he's yeah. necessarily a world beater but I think what he does have is something we're missing in the squad and that's 1v1 ability um to take on his fullback and we know our wingers really struggle with that and the other one um who's kind of making huge waves is Tyrese Hall who's a kind of number six slash eight and I think I think he's he could play both pretty well um well exceptionally well and I think at number six he'd be better than the current options but I don't imagine that happening because he's only just come up from the 18s um mm -hmm. but those are the kind of three that I think could make a first team impact currently and that doesn't mean they're the best talents I just think they're the ones that fit currently in the in the current squad setup um so yeah looking forward to next season Kish like you you said there needs to be a pathway like we need to be a plan for these players but you know it's always very tempting to like you know get your checkbook out and always sign a player rather than look to um bring in a player develop your player in your academy and, and kind of give them a chance in your opinion like going into next season if let's say we can trim the squad there's always talk of like you know we need to bring a midfielder in there's a lot of talk of us bringing a fourth center back for you would you, or even a winger like a, maybe a young winger on top of like um, a, a, a winger we pay a lot of money for. For you, would you rather maybe give Divine that opportunity to to be involved in the squad rather than sign another midfielder? Maybe give Santiago a chance on the wing. Maybe give Phillips a chance to be one of our first choice centre backs. Or do you still think, oh, should we be in the mentality of if we got a problem, we have to you know spend our way out of it? So I think it's a it's a case by case situation. So there's certain players who whose potential I think is, is massive and there's certain players that might be getting a bit of hype on kind of social media and stuff because of what they're doing in the 21s but I don't see it translating because of their skill set and and their, their kind of judgments that the, the, the staff have to make I think there's certain players who have huge potential but then again the the, the percentage of players that can make it as a top six Premier League level player is so small that's it's like a you know like maybe maybe we there's 10 wingers in the world that improve our starting 11 right now for example or uh or maybe maybe a bit more but you know what i mean it's, it's so small and for that to come from your academy the chances are always so small i do think our academy is in its best moment as it's been for a long time right now um but i think again yeah it's a case-by-case -case basis i don't think we have a winger currently at the club who takes us up the level that we need to go in terms of that position but i think divine or donnelly could be a a very good understudy to Madison, so I think it's a it's a case by case thing. Um, Bergbauer as well, who's who looks mm. incredible. I think he's probably the best of the lot. Um, so he's a, he's another one. Uh, but with the centre backs, I don't think either of them are ready. I think Dorrington 
is probably in my eyes the, the highest ceiling player um but again at 18 center backs don't really start their first team top level career until maybe 22 23 so it's, it's, mm. that's a five-year waiting period and i think with especially with those center backs we've got to be patient really yeah i completely agree me, I you look... a little bit go on I, I sorry i just wanted to to say like I, I get a little jealous does anyone else get a little jealous when you see kobe manu 18 years old i was just about to mention that one of like, it, to me, I get jealous. I mean, I know Harvey Elliott isn't a world beater, but he's been a consistent first teamer at, at the age of 18, 19. These, I think these they guys can are, be done. These guys are the cream of the crop English talents and have been since a young age. They've been talked about since they were 15, 16, especially Kobe Mainu. He's been like, United fans have known about him for a long time. So those those kind of guys, they're, they're generational type mid players uh in terms of at, at a young age and they're always going to be fast tracked and i think we have one of those in mikey moore who's much younger but it's going to take time with those guys um and then there's some who kind of surprise you and i think harry kane was was an example of that who kind of took everyone by surprise so some it's different for every player i guess yeah I completely you look at Connor Bradley as well what he's doing in a Liverpool shirt right back he looks like he looks completely oh. at home in the Premier League doesn't he what a player he looks like um so there are a lot of players you look at Bakayo Saka he broke into the team at 16. yeah it's true but did Andrew's quite clear wasn't he uh, he said in the press conference our academy is not there yet he, and maybe that was he was mm. making an indication that as much as we're all like wowing over <clears throat> their performances and results on 21s, maybe it's not a indication yet that they're of the standard to actually play for our first team compared mm. to maybe some of the other academies. I don't know. It's hard for us to hear that because you're seeing that you're seeing them and you're thinking, wow, why can't they be involved? But Ange is seeing them on a train on the training ground that he's saying he doesn't think they, you know, our academies are um, compared to a lot of the other top clubs. He thinks it's not it's not um, the same level. But I do agree with with Jacob what he said. Like once we're in European football next year, particularly if we maybe qualify for the Europa League, you will be seeing these players more, mm. and I think it'll become more clear to us if these guys are ready or not and it's hard to throw them in straight away in a Premier League game if you don't think or if you don't know if they're ready yet because we need to get results we need to get results now to achieve our goals for this season so um, it is difficult it's frustrating at the same time when you're seeing around the Premier League 18 year olds and kids from the academy and various different clubs coming in and doing the business straight away but that doesn't mean to say that these Spurs boys will come in and do the business straight away as well so um, it is a difficult one isn't it? Yeah, 100%. Uh, but let's move on, finishing off the last topic of the panel. And we're going to talk about top four. And, you know, we, we did a panel a couple of weeks back saying Spurs are the favourites for the top four. But you're looking at Villa now. They seem to have found um, a new lease of life, a bit of form coming back in into their season. We'll start off with you, Kiss. Do you think that Villa are now the favourites for the top four? Or do you still back Spurs to make that top four? I still think we'll get top four. Um, I think with everyone coming back and that as I said that familiarity building again I think we'll, we'll we will see an upturn in form um I think Villa are, are very good uh I still think there's some kind of tactical weaknesses there in terms of their high line that can get exposed um and I think I think we'll 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 kind of have an upturn in form I do I do honestly think that I just think it is going to take a bit of time for that familiarity to build again um <clears throat> I think Teams might have kind of seemed to adapt to us and, and that low block and transition game is, is obviously something we're struggle, struggling with. There's two things with that. I think, first of all, 
not every team wants to adapt. So some teams are going to play on the front foot against us and come out and, and, and press us, and that will suit us. I also think as the kind of familiarity um, comes in midfield, we'll see those passes like through the lines come a lot bit quicker, um, touches kind of being limited. So kind of playing off one and two touch. And, and as that all builds, those kind of things make such a difference. Um, those small percentages will, will make a difference. Um, so yeah, I, I do think I do think we'll, we'll improve, and I, I still think we'll get top four. Yeah, it's a massive game at Villa Park in a couple of weeks, isn't it? Do you think a lot is hinging on that game, or do you think there's just so many more games that um, it's not that pivotal as maybe people may think? I think it's a huge game for sure, um, but I don't think it's a kind of season the final. Um, I still think there's a lot of football to be played, and I do think Villa will have a a dip at some point and I'm sure we'll be up and down until then. I don't see for 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 a number of seasons now, I think there's always been that kind of fourth spot where where no one really makes it their own. And I, I see mm. that happening again this season, um with, with teams kind of losing and winning and losing and winning again. Yeah. Um I mean it is a massive, massive game in a couple of weeks at Villa Park. But where 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 do you sit with it, Jacob? Do you feel like Spurs are still favourites for the top four? We are sitting fifth at the moment. And fifth could actually be Champions League football next season if things do go our way with the coefficients and everything like that. But we'll focus on top four for now. Uh where do you sit with it? Well, for me, it's definitely achievable. Um, we do have a game in hand, and even if we win that, we'll still be two points behind Aston Villa. And when I'm looking at the schedule. That game at Villa Park and the subsequent two games, Luton and Fulham, uh, Fulham at, Co- at Craven Cottage, I believe, mm, and then yeah. Luton at home. Those are really going to be our last big moments uh, for me in terms of these crucial points because I think no one has a schedule as, as hard as ours in that stretch there. At, what is it? April, May. It, those are some atrocious fixtures. I am not looking forward to. Now, I do think we'll we'll throw a couple of wrenches into this into the works as far as the title race goes because we're going to be playing three all three of them in in those following weeks. But uh, really, you know, <laughs> United are still on our tail. We got lucky that that Fulham shout out Adama Traore he bailed us out and and helped us to keep that three point gap. We were eleven points clear of United at one point. And then they've they've slowly caught up with this random ten hog form, which I don't understand. But to me, the, the good teams will get hot at the right moments. Aston Villa, I think, are one of those teams. Unfortunately, I think they're. If I had to put some money on it, which I'm not a betting man because I'm awful at it, but if I had to, I would say I'd probably put it on Villa. I think I think Unai Emery right now they they are flying on a cylinder. We are trying. We're like maybe we'll get there next week. Next week, we could, we, could, we could be firing on all sudden. I agree with Kish that once we have our core back and we see our strongest 11, which we saw at the beginning of the year, we will look better. However, I don't think we're going to look as good as we did in the beginning of the season because I remember in the summer saying, Ainge Postacoglu, like Marcelo Bielsa, is going to come into this league and is going to put everyone back. They're going to say, oh, hang on. I don't know how I'm supposed to defend this. But then they're going to get ten, 10 games. I, I remember, and I'm not trying to say I'm Nostradamus or anything, but I remember I said it's going to be like five, ten games. You give these world class managers five, ten matches of game footage. They're going to watch. They're going to watch it. And they're going to watch it, and they're going to find out. Oh, here behind Pedro Poro, there's space there. We can probably isolate some space behind Udogi. Oh, well, Udogi's too world class. Oh, so excuse me, we can't get behind Udogi. <laughs> so let's go. Pa- let's go back to that space in behind Poro, and they and and they've kind of figured out wolves perfect example gary o'neill got six points against us i'm saying the first one 
I don't blame Ange Postacoglu necessarily. I do blame him for starting Eric Dyer. But again, when I look at points and where points were dropped, to me, losing two points to Everton, dropping three points to Wolves, those were crucial in my opinion for the top four fight because we needed these points before the road really got hairy and really got rough. It's about to get real rough. After Luton, it is... It is West Ham, then Forest, and Forest are no pushover. Let's remember, they were bodying us the first time we played them. Their number 22, I think, was I don't remember his name. Number Yikes. 22 put in like six fouls in the first 90 seconds, no cards. And yeah. you know, poor son, I just remember he got two, fouled like three times within 15 seconds. It was crazy. But that's my point is these teams, they're going to be fighting for their lives as well. When you are. In the position we are in, we we cannot be dropping those points to the aforementioned matches. To me, that that is where I feel like the top four race has really become in Aston Villa's hands. Now we're relying on them to drop points. They need to at least lose, and we got to win two in a row in order for us to overtake them. So for me, when it's not in your hands, my money would go on the people whose hands it is in, and it's not in ours at this current moment. You, you look at it and you, you say, you know, Villa probably are the favourites. I do think it is potentially Villa's to lose right now. But European football is coming back around. That Tottenham game is sandwiched in between two ties against Ajax. Do you not think that with Villa's squad, it's no, it's not the strongest squad. They're starting to build up a few injuries now. Do you not feel like that's going to hurt them a little bit, having that European football, that Thursday, Sunday, um, if they progress far into the uh, Europa Conference League? Well, it's absolutely going to work in our favor. And I love that you mentioned that because I didn't know that. That absolutely makes me feel better about the fixture. <laughs> However, Unai Emery and Aston Villa, their goals, I'm sure – has got to be get Champions League football next year. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, during the Conference League, correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah. I feel like they win that, they get Europa. They're in position to get Champions League. What is their what is their goal going to be? What is their owners going to be saying, Unai, this is what I want you to do? I don't know the answer to that, but I would assume it to be, give me that sweet, sweet Champions League money is what I would assume. And if you're in a position to get full three points on Tottenham, who are right now the closest to taking that sweet, sweet Champions League money from you, to me, I'm valuing that match over the first leg in Ajax. We'll get them on the second one, no problem. But that first leg, let's not worry about it because we got to worry about Tottenham. That's what I would assume the owners to do, or what, what they would prefer. What I would say to that, Jacob, is there is a lot of precedent with Unai Emre in being in this position. He's literally been in this position like countless amount of times and every single time without fail he, he favours the European matches <laughs> rather than the league he's been but with Sevilla with Villarreal with Arsenal as well every time he's like looks like he's going to be in it sometimes a title race but more often like, like a top four race and it's happened so many times with Emery where they've fallen away and they've prioritised the European Cup and they to be fair to them, they do usually go on and either win it or get to a final and go very close but usually that's how it works with Emery it's like a it's like a it's like his career at the moment. That's literally what he does. Um, he go, he prioritises European football. So I wouldn't be surprised if he goes that way again uh, for Villa. But you might be right. Maybe the the owners might. You know, Villa have well, they haven't been never been in Champions League. I don't think in the Premier League era have they? Or maybe not since the nineties. Um, not so, even in the nineties. Not in the nineties. So. Uh, maybe there'll be more pressure this time around than than before to really go for that Champions League football and, and put the uh, Conference League on the back burner. But I know Unai will know that Conference League's... <clears throat> I know he's won Europa League a number of times, but Conference League's a competition he's yet to win. So maybe 
he'll feel for like, and they're one of the favourites for it as well <laughs> made me feel like look I gotta go for this and I gotta go take this really seriously and also you gotta look at for me when well, I'm looking at Villa at the moment they got a very good win against Forest on the weekend and obviously they won 4-2 um, albeit they were 3-0 up and they were they, Forest did get it back to 3-2 and they, then Origi missed a 1-1 one -on -one and it could have easily been 3-3 and Villa end up winning but I'm looking at their centre-backs at the moment Conte has got a long-term injury Mings has got a long-term injury Pau Torres um uh, sorry, Carlos has also got quite a bad injury, I believe. I thought Mings is nearly back, isn't he? Or is he still? Well, he, look, he's, if he is back, he's back from an ACL. So mm. whether he's back, it is best. It was a severe maybe, one. Yeah, it was a uh, maybe he's not nearly back then. I don't um, know. Pal Torres went off at half time. I don't think it's a severe injury, but all I know is in the second half against Forest, they played a back two of Callan Chambers and Clement Longley. Now, if that is going to be their back two for the foreseeable future, they're going to have some serious issues. We got if that's the back two when we play them, we got to be licking our lips in that game. We got to take them to the sword. But also, you look at it like with the Villa season, them going for the Conference League, that could be like work massively in our favour because not only will it maybe diminish their chances of getting top four, but also if they do get the top Top four. If United get the top four, the English coefficient goes up the deeper they go into the Conference League. Maybe not as much as maybe Champions League and Europa League football. And also, just to put on Jacob's point about the run-in, we obviously have a very tough April. We that's, that's no secret. We have five games in a row where it's extremely difficult. But Villa as well have a very tough run-in, and you can't uh, take that take that way. They go to the Emirates. They go to the Etihad. They've got Liverpool at home as well. They've also got Brighton away, which is an extreme. I think Brighton have only lost one game at home this season, uh, or maybe two games at home. So that's a very very difficult game. No guarantees they win that. Wolves they've still as well. Got, they've still, exactly. They've got to play Wolves, which I think that was going to be that's a derby first to first foremost, and I think. I guess a game which uh, Wolves will be relishing in that kind of game. So as much as we have a very difficult run-in, um, plus you put European football on top of that run-in for Villa as well, I expect a lot of drop points for them in their run-in. So, But the problem is, obviously, that we are five points behind and our game in hand isn't exactly an easy game. We go to Stamford Bridge and I know Chelsea haven't been having a good season, but we know what, by the hook billionaire or by... Exactly. Jobs. But we know by hook or by crook, we saw they, they, they had a very similar season in the Leicester season and they ended up getting the point against us they needed to stop us. So I've got no doubt about it that Poch is going to have all the motivation, Chelsea have all the motivation to play out their skins in that game. So the problem is we are five points behind with a very tough game in hand. So we're not in a great position at this current time to be saying, especially going to a game in Villa Park. The thing in terms of Villa Park game... I think it's not it, It's not a massive game unless we lose, if you know what I mean. A draw or a win, obviously, then it's still to play for. But if we do lose that, all of a sudden it's eight points and uh, and the game in hand is Chelsea. It's all, all of a sudden it's going to start to look very... Well, I guess there's still a game in between that. We've got Palace at home, they've got Luton away. We have to see what happens there. But let's say we both win. Then if we lose I don't to think Villa, it's a given they, live, they I'm win not saying, I'm not saying that. That's a I'm, tough game for I'm them. I'm not saying it's a given. I'm just saying, let's say, for the sake of argument, going into going to that game, that if, we, if we're, it's still five points with a game in hand, if we lose that game, then all of a sudden Villa become massive favourites. Eight points, even though we have a game in hand, that's still eight points. And that would be... That, even with their run-in, we got a tough run-in that would make it very difficult. So as long as we don't lose that game, it's okay. But if we do lose, then and it's going to be very, very hard. Mm. Well, I still think, I think right now, if I'm going to say, if I'm going to put my money on anything, I'm looking at all the circumstances, I'm looking at everything. I do just shade Tottenham. I do. 
But I do think it's touch and go. It's touch and go between everyone. Uh, yeah, since we lost to Wolves and they won their game against Forest, it's definitely swung in their favour. I think it's massively touch and go. I don't think there's any clear favourite for top four right now. I think it's so tight between all the clubs, to be honest. And I put Man, as much as I, in the beginning, a few months ago, I would have said no chance for Man United, but I put Man United in there as well now. I think it's so touch and go between all three teams. But look, I think we're going to leave it there. I think we have run out of time for today. I want to thank Jay Jacob and Kish for coming on today. Um, first of all, Kish, do you want to let the people know where they can find you and where they can hit that subscribe button on your channel? Yeah, so it's uh, Lily White Lab on YouTube, um, also on X as well. So give us a follow on X and subscribe to our YouTube. We do kind of player analysis, kind of match analysis. Um, so yeah, hit us up there. Brilliant. And thank you so much for coming on today, Kish. Jacob, um, let the people when, where they can, know where they can find you, should I say, um, apart from on the pump-ups. Yeah, appreciate. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Good, uh, Such a great way to wake up and uh, just get to talk Tottenham Hotspur. It's such great. Normally when I wake up for early shows, it's for like a rival show of some kind. But you can find me at United Spurs of America. America's number one Tottenham Hotspur fan channel. So I appreciate, uh, first of all, allow me on the pump-ups as well. I have a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to this weekend's as well. Um, you'll find me here on the pump-ups before every match. And then um, United Spurs of America, I go live about five, six times a week. So you can find me there pretty much most days of the week talking about something. Awesome. Also, uh, they're, they're, both their channels are in the title of the of the video for right now if you want to go check them out. Exactly. So click those links, hit that subscribe button. Two brilliant Spurs channels there. Uh, but thank you everyone in the comments for joining in today. Uh, really enjoyed that show. So we'll see you all very soon. Like, subscribe and comment. And as always, come, come on, on you Spurs. Spurs. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.